On this episode of Underqualified Analysts, we have the pleasure of having Justin Rowland on. We do have some connection issues, so I wanted to apologize to all the listeners for that. But we go through some buy and sells, some offensive line woes, and some recruiting questions. So I hope you all enjoy. Routes the tide. Roll tide no more this year, boys. Georgia, 21-point victory. I think the biggest shock for me is Missouri falling all the way to number 13 in the power rankings. They're a quality football team. Go ahead and give me Texas A&M at the top. They're the best team in the SEC. Coach, you know, I've been thinking you might start to jinx me if you keep calling me uh, that name. (laughs) Nonsense. Now get out there, ACL, and tear it up. Tear it up, coach. Alrighty, everybody. So today we have a special guest on. I am fangirling over here. I have been a fan of this guy for quite a while. He's been my number one go-to for anything recruiting, anything Kentucky, any sport, doesn't matter. He's got it, right? So we got Justin Rowland on. Thanks for coming on, Justin. Thanks, man. I'll buy you a drink or whatever you want next time I see you. That's a nice intro. Oh, appreciate that. You're, you're, you're welcome. Again, fangirling, I have literally been following you. You can ask Zach for forever. You you get out the info probably quicker than anybody I've seen, um, and it's always accurate. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll give you a chance to kind of give everybody that is listeners like a little briefing on what you all do and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, first question, I just want to open up and say, uh, you know, I've been following you for a while again, and it seems like every six months you've got a new picture with a new kid. So uh, how many kids do you have? And uh, do you remember all their birthdays? Only six. Only, only six. That's, yep. Okay. I, I am only 37. So I, I always remind my wife, she might not be decommissioned yet, but uh, <laughs> no, they are. Uh, it's December. Uh, crap. Okay. November 22nd, 2010 is Greg. <laughs> April 20th, 420, everybody laughs about. April April 20th, 2012 is Tom. Matt is September 1st, 2013. Eli is November 1st, 2016. Isabella is December 21st, four days before Christmas. The only one that wasn't induced, 2018. And then most recently, little Andrew is March 28th, 2022. So I got them all. That is much better than my dad would have done, and he only had four. So it takes me six months to remember how old I am, though. Yeah, it takes me six months to flip the calendar in my head. So there's only so much room for stuff up here. Oh, yeah. And you've got a lot of UK football, especially recruiting information in there, too. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I just, I'll just say that. And Zach has one kid. I'm sure he doesn't remember his birthday. So, oh, yeah. You can't forget mine. He's a New Year's baby. 1 1 19. There you go. I like that. I'll have to plan that out next time. Yeah. All right, Zach. So I know you had a question for him. Yeah. Uh, it's no, it's no uh, secret that we finally have our first real analyst on the underqualified analyst podcast here. Uh, I want to, I want to get your take. Obviously the offensive line has been a huge struggle for us this year. And there's a lot of theories floating around, but, one of the ones I've heard is that Scangarello came in, he changed the blocking scheme, and now that it's a little more complex, the guys are having a little harder time with it. 
is that the case or are we just did we see a talent drop off there that we haven't seen the last several years as we've gotten used to the big blue wall yeah there's a lot of things you could list and it, the answer is yes it's not one or two things it's a lot of things yes um they got guys playing out of position horses at left tackle hardest position on the line to play along with center and he's not even a pure tackle they don't have any depth they came into the season with zero depth and with a lack of rotating to this point in the season you can tell that there is a lack of faith to this point in the guys that are behind the starters. So they don't have many options, different directions that they can go. Um, they had several recruiting misses on the offensive line over the last couple of classes in the 2018, 19, 2020 classes. They, they're probably not going to end up with a whole lot of production there from offensive linemen. We could still see John Young or DeAndre Buford or Josh Jones. Uh, make a move up the depth chart in the next couple of years, but but recruiting has been a factor. Three offensive line coaches in three years. They're as pro style as pro style gets at the college level, and so that's that's probably harder to block, I would say, in, in some respects. So there's a lot of things. And, and Wolford, who I thought was a good coach, I don't think he connected with some of the guys in the program, not all of them, some of the guys in the program nearly as well as Schlarman, I would say. Um, and so that that's a perfect storm. We should have seen more struggles coming. And I think maybe we gave them the benefit of the doubt, or maybe it was wishful thinking that the big blue wall wasn't going to fall off so much, but, but it, we should have seen it coming. I can't help but notice that the names that you mentioned may be climbing the depth chart a little bit. There was one very large name that we, that you didn't mention in Keontae Goodwin. Yeah. Is there any hope? I know Cooper was hoping that maybe, <laughs> maybe we see him. He, he kind of makes his appearance onto the scene. Where are we with him and his development? I mean, look, I, I have always felt like people are going to are gonna start saying Keonta was overrated. He looked the part, but he's not a player. But, but I never expected him to come and play a lot as a freshman. That's not why he was a high four or five-star recruit, depending on where you were looking. He was that ranking because he is just off the charts in some physical measures. He's always been huge always been huge for his age, always been fast for his size. But that doesn't mean you're ready to play left tackle in the SEC. There's a lot of technical preparation, the development of muscle memory, maturity that, that goes into that. And uh, he's big enough and strong enough to play left tackle right now, but he's not ready. I mean, when they're saying that his issue is like timing the snap count, and these other little technical things, I mean, you could see a lot of penalties, breakdowns, and I don't think it would be good for his confidence. And the fact that we haven't really seen it yet tells me that he's just, he's just not ready for it. But I, I expect he's eventually going to be a position. It's not like a skill position where, I mean, obviously we've seen Barry on Brown, Dan Key come in and have success. I don't think the line is somewhere that that's going to happen very often. No, no. And he was a project for somebody that big. It's not like he was going to these camps and, and doing these things. Drake Jackson, for instance, it, he wasn't somebody that was technically far ahead of what you would expect from somebody that age. So until somebody gets, you know, timing, little nuances of the position he's not going to be ready to play against Mississippi State and uh, that's okay um the, it makes it hard the reason that I'm picking Mississippi State and and will get on me if you want but I feel like you go going in you have to expect five and ten tackles for loss 
that's what it's been all season, and that's hard to overcome. So we'll see if. that we thought would go away with time and experience just haven't they haven't yeah. went away you just got to find a way to win doesn't matter what it looks like no style points and they didn't do it and i think it's a little bit different it's not about just being tough and white knuckling it and and just just getting to the finish line it's about eliminating mistakes. Are they capable of eliminating the mistakes? Uh, are they technically sound enough and mature enough to play mistake-free football is the question in my mind. We'll see. Well, hopefully that recorded, because I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, I think my <laughs> Wi-Fi messed up because I heard about a third of that. It sounded great. But, um, yeah, ho hopefully I, was, I, I think it recorded it all. But, <laughs> you know, it's recording. But, um, yeah, I don't know what just happened there. I, I, I totally zoned out. I didn't hear anything. Um, Wi-Fi trouble. Yeah. All good. Is it, is it, is it still messing up? I can hear you. Okay. All right, cool. All right. Um, so uh, one, one question I wanted to ask you was, do you see any transfers out there that like people that are in the transfer portal that Kentucky is going to go after? If so, who? Yeah. I mean, Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame is visiting this weekend. I think Josh Edwards was the first one to report that. And I heard it since. And, you know, I think Kentucky is where he's going to end up, and I think it's good that he entered the portal when he did because he didn't play that fifth game this year, so he can keep a red shirt, and he'll have two seasons wherever he ends up. And there's some other guys <clears throat> that I would mention that, that, that are not in the portal yet, so we're not going to mention, but former guys from the state of Kentucky who might be looking to come back for a year or two, narrow it down yourself. I mean, I, I think they'll have some of those guys, at least a couple of them lined up, and uh, – the quarterback they're going to have to get from the portal. I don't think he's in the portal right now, um, but whoever they get at quarterback is going to be important because you hope that he can bring some more guys with him, not from the school he's at necessarily, but he'll be a big name, a bigger name. He'll have connections from when he was a recruit, and maybe you can have another portal hall like the, the Wandale, Dare, Levis year. Oh yeah, they, if that if that's the case, uh, I think we'll be in you know pretty good shape. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I have I have a theory. I don't know, and if you can't say, don't say. Obviously, uh -huh. but uh, I had a theory that I I've just felt it that Bo Allen was going to transfer back. Is that even a possibility? I know some people have talked about that. I that's not what I'm hearing. That's not okay. what I'm thinking. And I'm not hearing like, hey, this is who Kentucky's going to get or anything. But I, I have not heard anything about Bo transferring back. It would be kind of brilliant. I, I heard somebody propose that on social media. And it's like, why wouldn't a school just get like signed five high school quarterbacks? Maybe borderline guys. Maybe you like them. Maybe you don't know if you like them. And then just kind of send them into the portal, SDF schools for a year. And whoever proves it, you bring back. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I think it could work out. 
I thought it was a great idea because I mean you're plugging them right back in. It's I mean it's pretty much the same system. I mean it's nothing too crazy that off off the whim, but um, you know he could come in make an immediate impact, and you know ninety percent of the guys are going to automatically know him too. So I mean I thought it was an awesome idea, but you know we'll see. It's an awesome idea. The, the the one thing that I would say is the logistical challenge why it wouldn't um happen and i think kyle tucker actually floated the idea too so i mean I'll, I'll, it's, been, it's been talked about i don't think tarleton state plays the level of competition that would really give them enough of a read on you know what's our reference point here like what is he actually doing who's he competing against how does that translate to the sec he'd still kind of be an unknown in my mind yeah well i mean you know he, i Against bad competition, he's doing good. So he's doing better than Kentucky's quarterbacks have done recently. Yeah, correct. Um, so I, I wanted to ask because you know we see Barry on Brown, um, you know we see Dante Key, Alex Safari, all, all these true freshmen making an impact. Um, do you see a guy that's currently committed making some sort of splash like those guys did, or are those just kind of freak athletes? Just yeah. I, I really I don't see a lot of like immediate impact surefire guys in the 23 class for Kentucky right now. I like Avery Stewart a lot. I think he's a really good defensive back. He's a physical defensive back. He's kind of a dog. He's got reminds me a little of Yusef Corker a little bit. Um, and if he's Corker, that's great. Um, you start to feel even better about this this class if you need that. Shamar Porter and Anthony Brown I like a lot at receiver. But the thing is, if they're running this pro style offense and they're putting so few receivers on the field compared to like Mississippi state. Um, I don't know that their immediate impact is going to be quite what Barry and Dane's is because Barry and Dane are going to be playing all the time. Uh, and Tavion, we'll see if he comes back next year, but uh, somebody else I really like is Kobe Keenum. You know, Kobe Keenum is a really good looking center or guard guard prospect. And I think he'll be a three-year starter for Kentucky, which is what Yenzer said he's looking for. If he can get a three-year starter, he's done a good job. Yeah. I mean, at this point uh, in the year, uh, if, he, if he could, you know, graduate early, maybe, maybe even throw him in there. I'm sure. But uh, I thought about that. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you could get Keenum, if he's really one of the top couple of center prospects in the country, bring him in, move Cox back to guard, um, Horsey back. I mean, they're, they're going to have to do something on the line this off season. They got to bring in a couple of guys from the portal because they're really, it's like you're starting from scratch. Yeah, it, it, I, for sure. It's, it's been night and day last year to this year. Um, so if, uh, with that being said, as far as offensive production, I don't think it's any secret, you know, we're not doing too hot. Um, and when you look at, so, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here, kind of, uh, if you were to put Liam Cohen in this situation, do you think he would have done better? Do I think what he would, what I'm sorry, I coughed. You're all good. Uh, so if you put Liam Cohen, so let's say Liam Cohen decided to stay, Scangarello, you know, didn't inevitably come here. Do you think Liam Cohen would produce a better offense than Scangarello? And yeah, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Hot water, man. Oh, yes. I think Cohen would have done a better job. Um, I, I hate to say it, um, but. Cohen proved himself, man. Like last year, I mean, look, Cohen took over an offense that was nationally known for how badly it threw the ball. Now, also how well how well it ran the ball, 
but they were known as a one-dimensional program. And in Cohen, Cohen's legacy is bringing in a first round pick at quarterback, bringing in Wandale Robinson, who played way better than anybody anticipated, um, really changing the quarterback and receiver dynamics at Kentucky. And I felt like every week he called a good game based on getting his best playmakers, the ball, uh, based on the opponent that they were facing. I, I never questioned Cohen as a play caller and I have questioned Scangarello as a play caller. That is, I mean, he can grow in the job. He can, he can improve in the job. Uh, but there have been some things that haven't made a whole heck of a lot of sense to me, especially last week with Levis out. Uh, but to be fair, maybe the line is just that bad and there's not much he can do. We'll know more at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the 49ers play though, you know, you kind of, you kind of you get the same vibe anyways like you, sometimes you're like oh well what are they doing here but you know uh it is what it is and i honestly i don't really hold him too much fault i definitely think that liam Cohen would have done a better job in this particular situation but um you know with the offensive line being so bad it's just it's so hard to tell i mean i couldn't go back there and throw a you know lob past somebody that was wide open so it wouldn't even matter um so well, and Mike Leach said this week, you only need to be able to throw it 30, 35 yards. That's all you need to do for a fade. If you can throw it 30 yards, that's all you need. And he said he could do it. I thought that was interesting. I'm sorry to de derail you, but it was no. interesting to hear Leach talk about that. It's like, all I need is a quarterback who can throw it 30 yards. That's all you need on a fade. I could do it. So, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe I need to loosen my arm up a little bit. I know Zach is out of commission though. He's had about 85 shoulder surgery. So he's, he's out. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, um, getting... go ahead. I know I'm getting there. I'm getting there for sure. <laughs> um, so in honor of, um, rivals, I wanted to do a buy or sell and I haven't okay. looked at yours this week, so I don't okay. know if any of these are yours. So I just have a few. Right. Um, so Kentucky football finishing with eight wins is a disappointment. Eight wins, you said? Yeah. I would say no. No, if they win eight games at this point, that means they beat either Mississippi State or Tennessee or Georgia. And, Frank, I mean, I would take that at this point. I think you got to take that. Now, from the start of the season, it would be a little bit disappointing, but we didn't know how bad the offensive line was going to be. They can win eight games in the SEC with Tennessee and Georgia so good. You know, that's salvaging it in my mind, I would say. Um, Anything worse than eight wins would be a disappointment for sure. So I think you are you. I, I think you definitely answered this one. So, but I'm gonna still ask it. Uh, it yeah. This year's recruiting class will best last year's. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, last year's class was the best that Stoops had on paper, and unlike the 2014 class, it looks like it's going to be that good in real terms. I mean, they've got. Game breakers at receiver, two starting receivers, the two best freshman receivers maybe they've ever had. And they've got an impact true freshman on every level of the defense. Keaton Wade maybe hasn't gotten quite there, but you're still gotten got Tyrese Fearbrain. I mean, yeah, I, the, the number of guys that I still like from the 22 class who have not even shown up on the depth chart yet. I mean, we're talking some some of the defensive backs, uh, some of the others. No, no. 22 over 23 by a significant margin. Fair enough. Uh, will Levis will go first overall for quarterbacks. I'm going to say no. 
I don't think he's going to go first over. I think, I think when push comes to shove, somebody might want to draft him there, but there's going to be too many questions about the decision-making. I think um, you, you can draft Levis fifth, seventh, 10th on his traits, his athleticism, his competitiveness, all those boxes that you check. But at the end of the day, he does make some throws that make you grimace a little bit more than most number one picks in, in history, I would say. So I would say no, a little lower than one. Fair enough. I, I He kind of reminds me of like a, like a Sam Darnold type mm-hmm. where, where, you know, his physical attributes and his arm strength is like through the roof, but you know, like you said, he, he's going to throw something that you're like, eh. it's also only a second year as a starting college quarterback, you know? So uh, he's old. That's one thing that's not working in his favor, but he's still pretty inexperienced compared to even Bryce Young. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, we, we talked about the whole, uh, like, is he better than Bryce Young, uh, you know, like two weeks ago? I mean, physically speaking, maybe a little bit, but I mean, I know he's not as fast as Bryce Young. So um, next one we got, uh, Mark Stoops is a better coach than Bear Bryant. No, no. <laughs> sure. he, he, he accomplished more now in terms of wins at Kentucky than any other coach. That's great. But how many national championships did Bear Bryant win? I don't know off the top of my head, but it, when the debate is like five Nick Saban's title, f- five titles into the Saban era, if the question is, is he the best Alabama coach? I mean, no. <laughs> You've got to put the ball at the top. But Stoops might may still deserve a statue at Kentucky one day. Um, Deion Walker is the next uh, Jordan Phillips. You mean uh, the Sorry. Jordan Davis, the kid yeah. from Georgia? Yeah, yeah. I, I read that wrong. <laughs> the funny thing is, like, that's the prototype. Like, I heard when they were recruiting him, they went I, – I was, I was hearing this kid is like Jordan Davis. And that made me kind of skeptical of him because it seemed like they were maybe chasing somebody like they, they just like this guy and they found somebody that looks like him and their, the expectations are going to be through, through the roof, but he's kind of like Calvin Taylor in that he's so big and unconventionally built. It's hard to, it's hard to block him. They're not used to blocking a guy that size. And uh, I, I don't think he's going to be Jordan Davis. That That's unfair for anybody, but he could be an all sec player for sure. They need that on the defensive line. Yeah, we definitely need somebody that can get some pressure on somebody because I don't think I could play quarterback for Kentucky, but I do think I could stand back there against Kentucky. (laughs) That's harsh, but, man, like um, Mississippi State, the reason they lost down the stretch to LSU was LSU's pass rush. So Kentucky's going to have to find a different way to beat Mississippi State. I I don't – I talked to Adam Luckett about this a little while ago, this drop eight strategy. That might be your best bet, but I don't like going into this game not feeling like you can pressure the quarterback. So so Dion's big for their future. I don't know how much of our defensive scheme is the lack of a pass rush or Brad White's play calling. I don't know that we dial up much pressure to go after a quarterback. I was looking at some PFF data and I don't really like the PFF grades, but they have some interesting data. And it said that Jordan Wright and JJ Weaver win. And that means they pressure hit sack or hurry the quarterback 15% of the time when they rush. Josh Allen was like 30%. 
So Josh Allen was twice as successful rushing the passer in term compared to Kentucky's edge defenders now. And you think the edge guys are a strength, but that just kind of shows you Stoop said it in a press conference recently, the way they play defense does make pressure a little bit harder. Maybe some of the angles, some of the ways they play, it does make it harder, but but yeah, it's an issue. Not, not having enough sacks and tackles for loss. Other than Josh Allen, I don't really remember of anybody. I mean, Bud Dupree, I guess, but it's Zadari Smith. I saw it. Yeah. I guess, I guess there's three, but um, you know, other than that, I, I, I haven't really seen much of that, at, at, you know, since being a Kentucky fan. Um, so last one I've got is the offensive line could have picked up somebody better and made it. Sorry, let me, re- let me, let me start over. The offensive line would have been better with a transfer pickup. And if so, who should they have gotten? The- well, Eric, Eric Wolford was, was going to have Tyler Steen at Kentucky from Vanderbilt. And this was going to happen if, if Alabama had not hired Wolford, then Alabama's starting left tackle would be Kentucky's starting left tackle. And we've seen enough from him this year to know that wouldn't have fixed everything, but it would have shored up some of the issues. Horsey would not be playing out of position. Horsey would be playing guard where he's established. And then you've got Cox who's playing well the last couple of games. I think if they had Steen, it would make the line significantly better. Uh, but when he went to Bama, that really hurt their chances. And maybe the reason Wolford was attractive to save, and not only because of what he did last year, but maybe he just knew, hey, we need a left tackle, and you've got this relationship with this guy, so just come on over and bring him with you. Uh, that would have made a big difference. Yeah, that 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 definitely would have, uh, as far as an underqualified uh, analyst goes, uh, looking at it. Um, so just to keep you under your time, uh, I'm going to, you know, name off some games and then, you know, you give us some predictions. Okay. For sure. Yep. All right. So this is out of conference. Most of these except one, two. So uh, we got Penn state versus Michigan. It's minus seven Michigan. I like Michigan in that game. I, I'm not much of a better, but I will, I will play the line here for you. I, I like Penn state to cover, but Michigan to win. Um, I have some questions, but I don't think Michigan is elite elite and I'd have a couple of one loss teams ranked ahead of them, but I do think Harbaugh has turned the corner a little bit with them uh, in terms of their confidence in winning big, big 10 games like this, you know, Ohio state last year, Penn state is not 41 to 12 good over Auburn. That one spiraled at the end. I, I like Michigan a little bit better than Penn state, but I, Penn state knows how to keep those games close. Yeah. Franklin's a good coach. So. I mean, I, perfect. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, Oklahoma State versus TCU. It's uh, TCU minus four. Is that at TCU? Yes, it is at TCU. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. I watched Oklahoma State play Baylor earlier this year. I like their offense and their defense. I think uh, TCU may be due for a letdown after that Kansas win last week. You get up for Kansas, it's going to be tough to play the next week. Uh, five and one Jayhawks. I'm going Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy wins the Big 12 this year. I, that, I, I did pick the Horn Frogs, but um, I, I do like that because I do think that Kansas probably would have won if their quarterback didn't go out. So, yeah, uh, I mean – I, I think TCU is pretty good still. Though. That TCU offense is really fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Um, Syracuse at 
NC State, uh, Syracuse is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, Syracuse is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at NC State? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was that was my reaction, too. Wow. Uh, when, my, when did that happen? I thought my, NC State was the top 10, 15 team, and Syracuse was Last good. I checked, that's what it was. Um, I'm taking NC State, then. Um, I don't think the pack has played to quite the level people expected this year, but – I watched them against Texas Tech. I watched them survive against East Carolina. And I, they just have more talent. NC State has more talent than Syracuse. Dino Baber seems like the kind of coach who's going to have bad year, bad year, great year. Where did that come from? Bad year, bad year, great year. But I like Dave Dorn and NC State there. Yeah, I, I literally said Syracuse just because I feel like it's always it, – it, there, there's two things. Syracuse – Maryland, and then Purdue at home, okay? And those three, I don't know why, but if Vegas has them favored, for some reason, you got you to be careful. So that's the only reason I went with Syracuse on that one. Okay. Uh, Is that at the Carrier Dome? Is that in Syracuse? No, it's at NC State. I don't understand it at all. I, yeah. That I don't, line doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's weird. Those guys, they I think they can see into the future because that that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> we'll uh, see. If, if the Syracuse wins that game by three, four points, I'll know where I heard it. Yeah, I heard it here for <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just I did just double check too, and it is it is three and a half. I was I was like, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Quarterback hurt, Leary hurt or something. I don't know. What we got next? Uh, we got USC versus Utah. It is at Utah. Utah is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I actually looked into this game earlier today, and it's a really hard one to pick because USC has been a lot better at home than on the road, and Utah has been a lot better at home than on the road. But Utah has a couple of losses. Uh, both of those losses were on the road. So how much does that translate? Um, man, Riley really has them humming right now. So um, – USC is a three and a half point underdog is what I saw. Um, I, I wouldn't touch this game because Utah is going to punch them in the mouth in a way that, uh, especially on that field, that USC has not been challenged physically this season. But I'm going to have to go with Lincoln Riley. Let me say this about Lincoln Riley. I feel like he's kind of LeBron James. Peak LeBron, who could have gone to like any team in the Eastern Conference and gotten them to the Eastern Conference championship i feel like lincoln riley could have gone to any team in the pac-12 and taken them to the pac-12 championship game this first year because he's going to bring quarterback he's going to bring a receiver it's just he kind of sets it up real quick doesn't he yeah and you don't need anything else in the pac-12 so you just need a score <laughs> yeah, I like that. um yeah. next one we got bama versus tennessee it is at tennessee bama is a seven point favorite I'm going to pick the balls. I think Gosh. the ball, I think, I think the ball, I think they're going to do it. Maybe, hey, man, this, <laughs> maybe this is me preparing myself for the, for the worst. And I don't know. I, I, Alabama has been on the ropes three times in the fourth quarter this year. And Tennessee is better than all of those teams, significantly better than all of those teams. I just feel like this is 20 years coming for Tennessee. I feel like Hinn hooker and those receivers are playing. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee's up. 14 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. And uh, I think they'll hold on. So hold me to it if I'm wrong. Buddy, you're making my ears bleed. 
Sorry, man. I'm just glad to have somebody on my side. What was that? I'm glad to have somebody on my side because I also picked the Vols. Yeah. I think that I think the Vols offense is just un, it's yeah. like that right now. Scary. I mean, they go up twenty-eight to nothing on everybody, and it's like there's nothing you can do to stop it. You know, so it's very impressive. I really dread playing them this year. It's gonna be tough, even with Levis. I, I would not. I wouldn't get my hopes up too high for that game. You know, if they beat Mississippi State this week, then the season is kind of salvaged. But if they lose to Mississippi State, then I think for people to feel good, they're going to have to win in Knoxville, and that's not going to be easy. I'm not looking forward to that game either. But I am probably – I have to be an optimist because uh, Zach and our other guy, Hunter, are just the absolute opposite of op- – it's like that we lose one game and we're like, oh, ship's down, we're done, whole season over, burn we're, it. We're not, we're not pessimists, we're realists. That's no. kind of how I'm wired too. I've always been wired like that too, you know. If, you, if you're lying to yourself, you're setting yourself up for more disappointment. So just – Accept the horrible reality, and then whatever happens is is gravy. Yeah. Well, glass half full. You know, you can call me whatever you want, but at least I'm smiling at the end of the day. You guys are crying your tears and making it a full thing. Um, so, last one, obviously, got to got to go with uh, Mississippi State, UK. I'm gonna go with Mississippi State, thirty-one to twenty. I think Kentucky um, with Levis back. They could run the ball. They could they could find some offensive efficiency. But, I mean, when I look at the matchups in this game, Mississippi State's offense matches up better with Kentucky's defense, and Mississippi State's defense matches up better with Kentucky's offense than the other way around. And that's just, that's just how I see it. The good news is they didn't do well on the road at LSU, and Kentucky's back is up against the wall. So, so this could be a different, different kind of game. But to date, Mississippi State has been the better team, and it hasn't been – all that close. So I would, I would pick them to win by a couple scores. Well, uh, as terrifying as that sounds, and you talked up Mississippi state, you talked up Tennessee, you know what? That's fine. It's okay. Haters going to hate. Um, but Justin, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, I've been wrong about every sec game for Kentucky this season. I've been wrong every single time I was wrong against Florida, Ole Miss and South Carolina. If you need some hope, I've been terrible this year. <laughs> well, we we always do a dog of the week, and uh, we have not been right yet. So uh, this week maybe we're, we're going to catch fire. But, yeah, we don't worry. We're used to being wrong. This show is called Underqualified Analysts, so trust I me. On the right, I guess I'm on the right podcast then, right? Oh, you're overqualified, <laughs> trust me. But, uh, again, thank you very much, Justin, for coming on, and uh, we look forward to hopefully having you again maybe next season or something. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Stay in touch, right? All right. Sounds good. I'll see you. Take care. See ya.